It's getting hot out there, folks. I'm really not sure what the temperature is. I haven't checked the numbers, but I can only imagine that this is the hottest weekend we've had so far. You feel it getting tense outside. It's getting, uh, it's, it's a little much right now. It's kind of like that, uh, that movie, Do the Right Thing. You know that movie, but, but for white people. It's very, uh, very suburban. But uh, you can feel, you can feel the heat, not just physically, but metaphorically. You can feel things really bubbling up into something bad. Like, do the right thing. It's about a, uh, takes place in one day on the hottest day of the year in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. It was directed by Spike Lee, the movie that put him on the map. He was only about 30 when he directed it. It made him a viable, it, it turned him into a viable filmmaker. and it, uh, it led him to greater things. But uh, the movie is a really super hot day, and everybody's angry at each other. You have the black people, the Puerto Ricans. You have the Italian pizzeria. You have all these different things, and it, it just it culminates into one big, giant, violent, uh, I guess, riot at the end. And there's a police killing, and it's just uh, – and I feel like I'm living through the suburban version of that. If that's appropriate, to, I feel like it, it, this is all going to bubble into just two, just two hockey dads beating the shit out of each other with lawn equipment in the middle of the street. And then more people are going to join in. And it is just going to be, it's going to be an orgy of blood is what I'm trying to say. And no good. We have to stop the violence. Ugh. But I'm back at my parents' place. Again, I have some things on the go. I, I didn't just come back because I'm homesick. But I lasted two weeks in my apartment before I, <laughs> I just had to come back. I was at the dermatologist recently. I thought uh, I had, I guessed like a, there was a spot on my forehead. It was like a red spot. I didn't know what it was for the longest time. And it's like whenever you, so I, I booked an appointment and uh, it's just this red spot. It's, it's kind of protruding. It was coming out. It was right on the top of my forehead, just underneath my hairline. And uh, I didn't really know what to make of it. And I was getting anxious. So I booked an appointment with the dermatologist and the four weeks leading up to that appointment, just every possibility is going through my head. And it turns out it was just a burst blood vessel. Wouldn't it be funny if I just hadn't showered? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that have been great if I just hadn't? It just, it turned out it was, <laughs> I hadn't maintained my hygiene. And this is what, I'm just forgetting to wash my scalp. And it's just, it's, it's some fucking ketchup or something from a, a hot dog that, burst or whatever no but it just turned out to be a weird blood vessel it turned out to be harmless and i i knew it wasn't like in the back of my head i'm like i'm not experiencing any other symptoms i'm fine for the most part maybe a little tired i'm sweating in the middle of the night i vomited on a baby the other day in the middle of the street a mother punched me in the stomach it wasn't my fault i just I couldn't, con I couldn't contain myself. I couldn't contain my, my innards. But other than that, I'm feeling fine. But I'm back at my parents' place, and I'm shooting a short film. This coming weekend, uh, by the time this episode's released, it'll be uh, a, a day before filming. And uh, I'm getting ready for all of this uh, throughout the week, and I, I got a bunch of shit to do. So I'm back at my place. I'm filming in my home area. That's why I'm back here. I'm not just looking for an excuse to come back to the nest that's a typical millennial problem. I'm like a nomad. I have two I have two houses right now. 
throughout this entire pandemic, I've had two residences or residencies, whatever the fuck. We're five minutes into this recording, and I'm already fumbling on my vocabulary. Uh, no, but it's hot out. And I've been driving around my uh, my neighborhood the last couple of days looking for like all last weekend. I was I was trying to uh, scout out some locations with my friend Tom the Bomb, who I mentioned in the last pod. He's into the B movie stuff. He's into that shit. He 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 has. He, we share the same passion. That's one of the few passions that we have. He's all inked up. I don't have a mark on me and no tattoos. Nothing. I don't like that stuff. We're we're almost polar opposites in appearance, yet. We just share this love for B-horror movies. He likes the kind of stuff where, you know, like the, the plot of the movie is a guy just starts bleeding out of nowhere, boils and sores appearing on his face. Then all of a sudden, what the whole movie is just him turning into a rat or half rat, half possum. So we're going around. We're, we're just driving all over the place looking for locations to shoot this thing. It's only supposed to be a four-minute horror short. Well, we had a good time scouting for locations. Me and Tom, we had to get out of the car every uh, like a couple of times to go uh, walk over, like walk over to a patch of grass to sh- spot shit. We only have like four locations. That's it. And I'm, I'm thinking we're shooting it through like just in one day, one day from about 12 noon to about 10 p.m. And at one point, because I, I got a scene that I want to film, it's on some bleachers. It's on a set of bleachers in a field across the street from my old high school and I actually had to walk on the property past my old high school and the memories, the flashbacks. It's a weird place and, and the, the school looks intact. I went to uh, Loyola Catholic Secondary School in Mississauga and the whole thing with Loyola, it was famous for being all, like almost dilapidated. That It was a functioning school in a dilapidated building. The power would go out every now and then just randomly. It went out on a Friday once, and uh, a riot – it was pitch black. A riot broke out in the cafeteria. There were kids stealing from the register. They were taking food, and then one guy gets up with a plastic garbage can and heaves it at some poor girl, hospitalized her on a Friday. That is enough to kill your entire weekend, and it was a long weekend. We got out of school early that day. Uh, Saturdays, however, are known to uh, to pick up. So she was okay, though. It was just this. It was this freak. It was this freak accident. It was. It wasn't necessary. I don't think it was an accident. I think somebody had it out for her. Uh, but she she was fine. Okay, nothing serious happened. I guess the hospitalization is a little serious, but I, I don't know what – what I'm trying to say is I'm pretty sure that justice was served. I don't know. That kid didn't get to go to the free breakfast program or some shit like that for a day, whatever it was. I'm I'm sure he regretted his decision. <sighs> yeah, but uh, we, I went to a school that was the lab, and just walking past that building – it brought back some of the memories. And I didn't have a terrible high school experience. I, I wasn't – my bullying was in elementary school and in junior high. High school was fine with me because everybody kind of knew their place. The popular kids would be over there. The cheerleaders would be over – I guess with the, they were one of the popular kids, whatever. But the the nerds and the kind of stoner kids, the clique that I hung out with, we knew our place, which was away from the popular kids, as far away as possible from the popular kids. And that was us. 
And it's just funny how those memories are brought back instantly by the sight of something from your past. Uh, but the school was falling apart. And none of the children seemed to care. None of the students cared. They would remind us every year, don't worry, you guys, you guys, they would always tell us, like, you guys are going to be the ones who are graduating in a new building because they keep trying to, like, save money for a new building. Like, they'd hold fundraisers. They try to get money from the parents. They do all these weird, like, raffle things and shit like that just to raise money for this new building. They eventually got it down the road. We didn't graduate in it, but none of the students gave a shit. That's why they didn't raise enough money in time. None of, none of us cared. We didn't care that if we, we, we were learning history while the ceiling was collapsing in on us. I only wish that my history teacher had mentioned that, like, oh, yeah, this is what happened 50 years ago. Uh, the ceiling collapsing is metaphorical for the events that are coming 15 years down the road. That would have been a nice allegory. Canadian history, by and large, and I don't like to disrespect Canada. I have my complaints. I have my misgivings. But I don't want to disrespect Canadian history, but goddamn can it be boring. Goddamn, especially when compared to American history, everything that happened, everything that you've seen on television and that you've read about, Canada is very Americanized. So naturally, if you're a person who's been as immersed into pop culture as I've been my entire life, you get a little frustrated when you can't learn about the really rich, dark, terrible, violent, but sometimes hopeful history of the United States, the country I love. Uh, we're stuck just sitting in a classroom learning Canadian history, learning about French people and liquor and treaties. That's it. Do, do, how many more chapters do we need to read on the fur trade? Can we switch to Pearl Harbor? Like seriously, especially when we're when we're learning Canadian history, like a, a specific year in Canadian history, and it coincides with something really significant that went on in the USA. Like we learned about 1969. In 1969, the French Parliament issued, uh, they implemented a new law, uh, Francois Jacques de la Parson Fontlefy, uh, whatever his name is. Uh, took the stand and and I'm like, can we just can we learn about the guy who went to the moon, please? How about that? Can we maybe is he a footnote in this at all? Can can you stop me from jumping out the window? My God, is Canadian history boring? A man by the name of Mackenzie Canada does have some amazing. Moments in history. World War One, World War Two was great, but it's just some of the names they just don't they don't bounce off you. They don't they don't they don't just there's just they don't click the way that American historical figures do. You know? You got people like JFK, you got Ronald Reagan. Who else they got? Rosa Parks. You have so many different people just down the line. There's too many to name, really. The Canada. There was a man by the name of Mackenzie. Mackenzie. Fuck off. No guy is named Mackenzie. Let's get real. I want to learn about a guy named Franklin, right now. Roosevelt, Benjamin, whatever. Franklin is a man's name. 
And you know a guy named Franklin, especially today, is a man's man because he's sticking with the name Franklin. He's not Frank. He's not Frankie. He's just Franklin. All his other friends, his whole gang, their names are Eddie and Chucky and Larry. Hey, I'm Franklin. Want to fuck? Anyways, we were scouting for location. Back to the scouting thing. We're sc- we, were, we were scouting for filming locations for my new film. It's called Stagger. It's about a drunk guy that runs into – actually, you know what? If you want to watch it, watch it. I'm not going to spoil anything. But it is uh, linked to the previous two films that I uh, did last year, as I said. So I'm not going to give too much away. But we were scouting locations. We had to do these bleachers. Then we had to uh, look for a road. Uh, it turned out we're just filming on my parents' road, like the, the street that they live on. Just keeping it local so I don't have to uh, drag my actors around. But me and Tom, I had to drag Tom around all day Saturday looking for new spots. And don't worry, I'm feeding him, okay? I run a tight ship on my sets, but I'm at least going to be humane, okay? I'm going to probably give him some Swedish berries and a buttered bagel. That's how I do. Anyone who says I'm not generous, just they don't know the real me. Uh, yeah, and then we're just going to be filming all day next Saturday, and I'm going to film my. I'm going to fill. I'm, I'm going to feed my actors as well. I'm gonna, don't worry. I'm going to bring a couple of sandwiches, one bologna, the other salami. I'm going to toss them on the ground. I'm just going to let them fight over it. Hey, there's no tougher business than show business. If you want to perform and survive, you're. You're lucky this is the worst I am. I have to motivate my actors. They're playing tough characters. They're playing tough characters in dire situations, and this is what it is. Sometimes you just you, – you got you to gotta kill another guy for a sandwich. That's it. That's all. This is just the reality. It, it's, it's, it builds character, literally builds character. <laughs> I kid, of course, everybody. I watched that show on HBO Max on Saturday night. I was done uh, scouting and all kinds of stuff, and I was done my writing for the day. I decided to watch. I binged the whole thing. It was seven episodes, Mayor of Easttown, Mayor of Easttown, starring Kate Winslet. And I thought it was Mayor of Easttown, but it actually turns out it's just like it's it's Mayor, Mayor. Like I guess Mary. I don't know if Mayor is like a full name that people – I've never heard the name Mayor in my life. But it takes place in small town Pennsylvania, not far from Philly, and uh, they get like the Philly accent down to a T. That's uh, what a lot of critics are noting and praising about the show is when whenever they whenever they do the Philly accent in movies, it's always like a guy going, "Hey, yeah, okay, uh, you want to want to go down to uh, Lincoln Financial? You want to go see the birds play? Yeah." And when, no, it's like they really have their own dialect, and it's never represented in film properly. Very rarely is it. They always sunny in Philadelphia. They parody it a little bit. But even Danny DeVito's character on that show, he's got like a thick Jersey accent. It's nowhere close to the Philly. But they they nail it on this show, and Kate Winslet fucking nails it. There's a few points where it's a little on the nose, and you can tell that there was a dialect coach on hand who was trying to like guy like at one point probably cutting and going, "Okay, no, Kate, you get it's pronounced water, not water. Remember that." Yo, can I get a glass of water? Yo. 
Yo, how's it going? G? Shit like that. That's how they talk. Yeah, I'm going to go home and watch the birds play like that. And they fucking nail it all through the show. At one point, it almost gets irritating. They do it so well. And I've been down to that region. I've spent time down there. And uh, you can tell how those people – you can tell you can tell why those people are reviled. It's really no wonder. Not everybody around there, but Philly people, why they are reviled by the rest of the country. They're like cavemen that became urbanized, right? Like they, they became – that just developed a city. And I like Philly generally. The people I think are down to earth, but they're a little volatile. That's all. Toronto people can be volatile. New York people, very volatile. But Philly people, it's a special kind of unpredictable that puts you on edge a little bit. But the show, by and large, it was it was very good, well acted. I will say this about Kate Winslet, other than the uh, outside of her character. It's just her, her physical look. I do not buy British actors and actresses, regardless of how they how how skilled they are. As thespians, I don't buy them a lot of the time playing characters from middle America. They don't have the same look. It's, they're very pale-faced. A lot of the time they kind of lack definite. That's just the way their faces are, right? And middle America, they have that certain – they have a look to them. They have a bone structure. They have a thing. These are all the things that you notice when you have no life. This is just something that I <laughs> – that I just came across my many viewings of – Movies and television. But there's just always something I just – I don't buy this girl from England. I, I still just see this woman from England playing a Philly cop on this show, and it kind of takes me out. It was the same thing with Mar uh, Martin Freeman uh, on Fargo. He was playing a guy in the middle of the country. He was playing a Midwestern, just suburban dad, and it really did irk me a little bit. Because I'm like, you You look like a guy who teleported from Liverpool and just found himself in Fargo, North Dakota. You look like a guy who immigrated to North Dakota from Middle Earth. That's what I'm trying to say. Never mind Liverpool. I don't think people from Liverpool have ever left Liverpool. It's the Beatles and that's it. I don't think they ever went back. But by and large, other than those tiny little critiques, or that one critique, I, the accent was fine, but other than the Kate Winslet critique, the show was terrifically acted. There's one particular – the guy who plays her partner on this show. I don't know his name. I've seen him in a couple things. I'm not going to spoil anything. Great uh, – Really, really good character. Really good character, likable, one of the more likable characters on the show. As well as uh, there's a few other people. There's too many characters. That's the one thing about modern television now. There's too many characters. Everybody – I guess you have to employ a certain amount of people, so you have to have 40 different main characters in one show. It's not just enough to have Kate Winslet, one of the biggest, most famous actresses – of her time leading the show. 
you have to have these other people who have these little side plots. You have 14 side plots happening in one episode, and it's difficult to keep track of. But they, the, this show was particularly well-written and well-done. That's, again, just – that's the benefit of having a wonderful director and all kinds of shit. You can tell that these people, they filmed in small-town Pennsylvania. You can tell that it's Pennsylvania, very hilly. The houses look like they're 500 years old, and people are still living in them. But you probably – the townspeople, the locals that live by there, you could probably tell. And I, I, I know – I've been around these sets in rural Ontario where they they film f- movies like it and all kinds of stuff. The townspeople love it a lot of the time. Like they feel like they're part of the film. But yeah, a lot of characters and uh just overall I'm noticing with television, it wasn't so much with this show. Again, I I can't state it enough. Very well written. That's why so many people are praising it. But goddamn, is it dark? Goddamn, is it dark? Too many TV shows. Just if you're doing a modern television show, especially one that's set in small town America, it has to focus or at least emphasize at one point the opioid crisis, as well as teen pregnancy and suicide and all kinds of dark shit. And I understand the significance of that and why people would want to depict that in television to raise awareness, I suppose. But my God, that it, these shows are starting to make me want to do opioids. I think it's having the exact opposite effect than what is intended. And it's not just TV. It's, it's, it's all kinds of shit. It's movies now. Everything just has to inundate you with this feeling of guilt and shame. And oh my God, we were so terrible to place marginalized group here. And again, these movies, these stories should be told, but they should be told a certain way, right? Otherwise, if you are just going to overwhelm me with darkness and guilt, why would I watch the fucking movie to be abused and tortured for two hours? If you're not going to give me any silver lining at the end, why would I watch the film when I could just watch a documentary, right? There's a reason Schindler's List is still talked about. There's a reason 12 Years a Slave, eight years after the fact, is still talked about. Those movies, while dark and horrific, and they depict two of the darkest chapters in human history, there's a glimmer of hope at the end that people are somewhat good, that people can still, despite all the horrific actions of one particular group of people, one or two of them can still do good things. And that's that's what fulfill that's what makes that kind of a movie and a story worth it. That's the deal. You can plunge us into this dark world, into 1940s Poland or the South during slavery, but just give me something that that reminds me that people are okay. At the end. And I'm not saying – that doesn't mean that every movie has to have a happy ending. I don't think Usual Suspects would have worked if that movie had a happy ending. If Kaiser so- – if Kevin Spacey just got arrested, which you know, ideally, you know, given the times we're in now and what we're hearing, it might be fulfilling now if they redid the ending, but –
No, things should be happier. Give me something else. Give me something other than, and then the guy was shot. The end. It's like masochism at this point. Why do we keep going back to entertainment that just makes us even more depressed than we already are? I wanted to do this recording after I saw the new Conjuring movie, The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It or whatever it's called. And uh, I'm hearing it's not as great as the other two, which I'm very disappointed in. I love the first two Conjuring movies. The Conjuring 1 was not just a great horror movie, but in my opinion, a great movie overall. It was very good. The The two main characters, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. And it took me – I've seen Patrick Wilson in 40 movies in my lifetime. It took me till last year to memorize his name. He's just one of those guys that you go, he's amazing, but I, I don't know. Is that one of my family members in a film? I can't tell him apart from any other white dude. But he's fan- he looks like Will Arnett. I remember the first time I saw him, I go, that kind of looks like – why is Will Arnett – Covered in blood, holding a crucifix. I don't know if I like that. That's a strange turn for him, for a nice Toronto boy. But no, uh, the two of them are very good in those movies, and I'm 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 hurt to know that this new one isn't uh, that great. Because I, I think by and large, the whole Conjuring universe, like they're trying to do the, the, the sort of MCU type thing with monsters now or with, with ghosts and goblins. Like the, that's the whole Conjuring thing now. And The Nun was terrible. I didn't see the Annabelle movies. I, I heard one of them was good and then the others were, were just garbage. But I was really hoping that this – the Conjuring ones were the ones that I just kept coming back to. Like, no, okay, as, as bad as these other side movies are, the Conjuring ones – are going to be our fucking masterpieces of horror, especially that first one. So it sucks to hear the number three is subpar. Apparently it's not terrible. It's not The Nun. The Nun was crim- – I almost sued after seeing The Nun. And it's awful because I had to see it twice. I had to see it twice. I saw it once with somebody, with a buddy of mine, and then a girl that I uh, – a, fr- a friend of mine wanted to see the the nun, and I, I forgot that I had promised her that I was going to see it with her. So I had to go and see it with her a second time, pretend I hadn't already seen it. So I had to abuse myself twice, and I almost saw a lawyer the next day. I wonder if there is some kind of litigator who can carry out lawsuits on film studios. Yes, hi. I've wasted – on two tickets to see a movie at Cineplex Theaters. It was awful. It's about a nun who eats people, which the concept should blow people away. And the two Conjuring movies were great. The first one was fantastic. And the thing that I love about those movies is the two main characters, the demon hunters, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who were actually people, who were, who were real-life people that these movies are based off of, and it's based on these different files of, of these different cases that they had around the world. They're not depicted in the movie as people who sleep in coffins and have pale skin, and they're just reciting Bible verses to each other. That's their whole dialogue. And they're, they're, they're depicted as actual, regular people who just happen to do some unconventional shit with ghosts, right? They're, they're really not into it either. Every now and then they'll say a prayer or some shit. Other than that, they're making sexual innuendos. The guy's doing manly shit. He's got a car that he's fixing for a family. That's top-level service. 
And then the second one was okay. The second one was a little repetitive. The second one was in London, and it was just some guy, some ghost of an old man who, I don't know, wouldn't wouldn't get out of a recliner or something like that. And the mother of these daughters who lived in the house, she was really concerned. She was coming to them. I don't know what to do. There's this old haggard curmudgeon man, and he's all pale, and his teeth are all yellow, and I, I couldn't tell if he was a ghost or if he was just my father who's has dementia, and he just wandered in through the middle of the night. But he just refuses to get up out of that lazy boy, and there's not even heated seats. There's not even a, a there's not even a bomb vibrator. There's not even a remote. We don't even have a television. Because it's 1960. He just wants to sit there in, in silence and think about the war. Every now and then he'll fall asleep and I can still hear him calling out, Oh, the Jerry's are, on, are, are flying above. Get the machine gun out and fire a couple rounds. No, no. Save him. I could have shot him before he killed Murray. No, no. I think there's something wrong with him. But then again, like I said, it could be my father. Anyways, can you just come over to the house and sprinkle some holy water on him, see if he reacts? He could just be a man who's dehydrated. A little unoriginal, but... Decent, decent sequel nonetheless. I really like The Conjuring 2. And I'm still going to see this third one. I'm still... I don't know. Oh, it's really tense, and I'm afraid to go back out into the heat, everybody. There's just too much shit happening. Too much shit inside and then outside. You get to deal with whatever. You have no idea the kinds of psychos that are around. That's that's the one thing people don't understand. It. it People watch horror movies for that kind of escape of like, yeah, we, we, people watch horror movies for an escape. Like, yeah, it's fun to be scared and immerse yourself into a world of ghosts and ghouls. And every now and then there's a serial killer, but that's all it is today. We got UFOs. We got serial killers. We got maniacs with guns. We got, you know, with illegal firearms that are shooting people. Life is horrific enough. We don't need horror movies anymore. Why? Who gives a shit? I can see that on the news. I can walk out my front door. People are so unaware of the psychos that exist in life. And I was too until very un- until my adult years. It took me to run in to some real whack jobs, to some real sociopaths in my adult life for me to, for that reality to finally sink in. My dad would warn me as a kid because I was loud and I was boisterous and every now and then I would give somebody the middle finger like another kid and my dad said you don't realize these kids over here that we're living with they're pussies there's guys in real life who are going to punch you right in the face and maybe even worse and I never ever believed him or took him seriously I dismissed him I dismissed my mom whenever she'd say the same shit who are these two old fucking cocks that are trying to lecture me on what's good for me and the kind of people that are out there. But boy, were they correct. I remember the first time, the first time that I ever really saw violence, like really unpredictable random violence. I was at a party 
And I'm not going to go too much into detail. I'll talk about this story in another podcast. But I was at a party when I was 18. I think I was uh, two weeks into college at that point, September of 2009. And I was at a party in my neighborhood. It was a little tiny get-together. It was a kickback, all right? It was a hangout. And it was just a bunch of us in a backyard. And this girl who was hosting the party ended up kicking one random kid out. He was just a neighborhood boy, went to her public school. Uh, He was too drunk. He was belligerent. He was knocking shit over, and she kicks him out. He comes back an hour and a half later with two friends toting aluminum baseball bats, and they just start hitting guys. They just start hitting people at random. Nobody died. It It was nothing like that. But that was the first time. I'm like, holy shit, I'm ducking. I'm trying to get out of the way. There's a fight in the middle of the street. It carries out uh, into the middle of the road. And uh, I remember I yelled something at my friend, which got one of the guy's attention. It was the drunk guy. And he walks over to me with aluminum bat. And I thought I was done. I thought I was gone. I didn't know what the fuck to do in that moment. I froze. And he walks up to me and he says, say that again, pussy. And I, I froze. I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. I don't know how to react to these people. I've never been in situations like this. I'm not a fighter. He knocks my cap off my head and walks away. He spared me. He spared me the injury. One guy got kneecapped. Another guy got hit in the head with the butt of the bat. Not the actual bat itself, but the handle. So not the butt, the handle. Excuse me. Fuck, I play baseball and I don't even know. (laughs) It was a wild time. It was incidents like that that informed my 20s and helped me realize that I'm not a tough guy and I should probably stay away from physical confrontation. God knows how I'd fare in prison. Actually, I would probably rise to the occasion. I'd make, I don't know, a dagger out of a bar of soap or whatever. God knows where I'd have to hide it. Uh, and I'm seeing too many people online. That's that's another thing. I, I'm not the only one that's not privy to this reality, that didn't grow up in a tough area. That's a lot of people that I know. It's a lot of comics. It's a lot of regular people. It's a lot of, uh, a lot of just Joe Schmoes. Didn't grow up fighting, yet they act so tough online. They're just calling people out. Everybody, everybody handles an online confrontation or a conflict like a, a seasoned gunfighter. Like they actually know what to do when the shit goes down. Yet they're the ones running with – they're the first ones to run away and ditch you and leave you in the middle of danger. And it just – I'm not talking about anybody specifically. I'm just – it's just what I observe. Again, these are the tiny little things that I see because I have very little life. Everybody wants to call each other out. Everybody thinks that just ousting somebody online is the solution. It, it, it's not the solution to anything. There's exceptions to the rule. Like, I guess, if a person is a provable, dangerous threat and they've hurt somebody or they've hurt you and, and you decide to expose them online, that's one thing, even though there's ramifications to that. I've had social media. Over half my life at this point. It started with MSN when I was 13. And I, I, I've, I've had people in my life who've hurt me, who've double-crossed me, who've stolen from me. I've had bosses who were pieces of shit. We all have. I'm no exception. But 
Out of all the conflicts I've ever had with people, and I've had several, not once did I ever say to myself, you know what would solve this? Exposing this person online in front of potentially millions of people. That's really not going to exacerbate the situation whatsoever. No backlash of any kind at any point will come to me from from this decision. I see people doing it all the time. They'll have a falling out with a friend of theirs, and they'll, they'll decide, hey, you know what? This person deserves to have their shit put on blast. It's fucking weird. Before I know it, I'm just seeing a of an embarrassing picture of this guy passed out on some old lady's lawn with his pants down. He has a mixture of blood and puke on his hoodie. And it's terrifying to see. And of course, that's that picture is followed by a 4,000-word caption on how this person's a piece of shit. And this is all being done for some minor transgression, like somebody stole a bottle of, I don't know, what, Grey Goose? Something that just could be talked out. I've had people steal from me, and it's terrible, but you talk it out with this person. You don't, you don't put them on blast online. There's ramifications to that. You have no clue the type of personality or what people are capable of when you start fucking around with them online. It is a horrific reality. It is a horrific reality. It's like I I I don't get it at this point. It's it's like it's like the digital version of frontier justice. Like 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 a, a modern. This is the modern day lynch mob. It it is, it is people instead of torches and pitchforks. And and shotguns, it's. An iPhone screen and a keypad, and that's what we're using now. And how do you know that can't be done to you? You like doing it to other people. How do you know that the same treatment is not going to be done unto you at some point in your life? You are so confident that you can handle this shit, that you are in the right when you don't realize that you are just as susceptible to the same kind of punishment and the same kind of frontier digital justice. It fires me up. All right. Well, this has been a long one, and it's been eventful, but I do have to leave. That, those are just – those are my thoughts. Something's Off Podcast. Don't forget to follow on Instagram, TikTok, Alex DeWitt 15 on Twitter. Apparently, there were 14 other Alex DeWitts that I had to – I just had to wait my turn. I'm not so special after all. Everybody, thank you for listening. There it is.